You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Um, did you guys want to transition to Chieson since he's maybe the one that has more of a chance to make the NHL roster this year? Um, you know, we... We touched on him a little, but, you know, 32 years old, has been around the NHL for a while, has had a couple good seasons. He had a 22-goal season with Edmonton, won a Stanley Cup with Washington in, in 2018, and played 16 games during that playoff run, so it's not like he was just a spectator or extra forward. Like, he was actually in their lineup in a fourth-line role. So, um you know, I, I covered Chieson in, in college at BU, and uh, I thought he was going to have, you know, a solid chance at like a pretty long NHL career just because he, he does a lot of things well and he has a size. He's six foot four. And we talked about how he's kind of carved out that net front role in the power play. Um, but I think when you look at like this Bruins bottom six and you see, you know, that they have so many different options now that. Some guys with size, some guys with speed, um, some guys who, you know, defense is their specialty. Now you bring in a chase on who can make things happen around the net front. And it's like, they're going to have a lot to figure out, but they definitely have options of just different looks and guys who, who bring some different things to the table that I think creates, creates a really interesting competition that chase on now joins. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's funny. I, I for some reason, uh, when when uh, free agency happened and, and and Don Sweeney was just signing a couple of just random players like Kevin Shattenkirk, Milan Lucic, but I, I saw I saw Alex Chason's name like in like the the free agency like just availability and tracker or whatnot, and I just had a feeling that he was gonna end up in in Boston because because he is a player who like he does bring good value like on the power play, like you said, Scott, like net front. Big body again, as you said, he's not he's not really a massive game changer, but he's a but when the Bruins are trying to just find different little pieces to the puzzle on the cheap this year to help them stay competitive and and, and build towards the playoffs, I just kind of felt like he was the type of player that they might they might target. And then, you know, whatever it was, like two months, a month and a half goes by and 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 they actually do end up signing him. And but um yeah, it's it's bargain shopping is what they're doing, and you know he he did he did have a you know he he has experience in Edmonton on that power play unit. Um, I don't know if he was there on their first unit with those guys at times, but but he was definitely on a high powered offensive team. He got power play time is my is my point. Whether it was the first or second unit, so he has value there. I have no issue with the signing. I mean. I just think the Bruins are in a situation where they, they know where they're deficient right now, at least on paper. And they're just trying to, they're trying to fill in the rest of the holes um, to complete the team as, as best as they can. I think chase on, I have no problem with the signing. 
he doesn't he doesn't bringing him in on a PTO like it does not hurt anything at all. Yeah, and and should mention as well that he you know, one of the reasons that he gets linked to the Bruins is cuz he's been linked to them in the past. Like he's he's a player they've reportedly had interest in, with in in the past. Um at one point there were rumors of like a trade like a DeBrusque for Chase on deal when he was in Edmonton which I never thought made any sense and and obviously never happened and shouldn't have happened unless there were other pieces involved but yeah like he has he has popped up before so you know you every now and then there are these plays where you're like oh yeah that absolutely makes sense that he ended up with the Bruins because you figure they've probably been in touch in the past or you know knew there was some interest there or whatever yeah, I remember I remember him being connected to the Bruins a few times. And also, um, you get this far into free agency after, you know, the Bruins make a splash in the beginning of it with signing all the pieces we mentioned, Van Riemsdyk, Shattenkirk, Lucci again. Um, but then you have someone like Chase on who he's still around. Like, he stuck around. Nobody picked him up. And that's why he's not uh, signing. He's a tryout. Um, so it was kind of like, okay, well, we'll, this is a really low risk, um, thing to invite you to try out for a spot, play in preseason, see where you are. That way they get a chance to evaluate him before they commit any money to him if they want to, or if they don't, if they see a spot that he can fit, or maybe they don't see a fit for him at all. And, you know, it was just a tryout and he's gone and on his way and maybe somebody else gives him a look, but I mean, it's another really incredibly low risk or even I would say no risk move to extend him this offer, this, this paid tryout. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll get a better look at him to see how he, how his health is, how he compares to some of the other guys who are younger, who are faster. Um, and it seems like the Bruins just have so many pieces to try to plug in and figure out where they're going that they're just going to get a look at everything. And, and they wanted to see what Chase on, if he actually, after all this time and after all these times they've thought about bringing him in actually would have fit the way they, they expected him to, or, or they were hoping he would. Yeah. And, and I know one of the takes that some people have is like, why do they keep bringing in all these veterans? You know, they're going to block some of the kids from getting a chance. And it's like, no, they're not like those kids are still going to get every opportunity to win a job. And if they outperform Alex Chieson in camp, you know what the Bruins are going to do? They're just not going to sign Chieson to a contract and they'll let him explore other opportunities. Like it's, it's fine. It, I've said it before, like even Patrick Brown, Jesper Boquist guys, you know, AJ Greer for that matter, guys who have actual contracts. If one of these youngsters beat or two or three of them beat those guys out and they're just straight up better in training camp and preseason, like they're going to get jobs. The Bruins aren't, attached to any of those guys for big money or years. So like in that sense, it's not even comparable to last year. Like what we were talking about with Felino or no when, you know, obviously it was a good thing. The Bruins kept them around, but in camp, we were saying, you know, those guys had kind of tough preseasons, but in those cases, like there was actual money attached there that you, like you, you had to work around or figure out if you weren't going to keep them in this case, like these contracts are all under a million dollars. Like it's not, it's nothing if if the Bruins just decide, hey, you know what, gave it a shot, but uh, you know we're going with the we're going with the kid. Like 
you don't lose anything. You don't have to worry about burying it in Providence. Like it's, it's very easy money to just dump off the books. Yeah. And, and also, <laughs> oh, sorry. Stop ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, and he's in a also mood today. like I'll he's, tell you, he's in a freaking mood today. Get out of here. For what, for what it's worth, um, you know, Tayson has two hundred thirty-three uh, NHL points to his name in the regular season. You know, if he's a guy on, on your fourth line, I mean, there's not a ton of fourth liners out there with two hundred thirty-three points in, or, or or whatever that equivalent would be. Like he's got. My point is, he's got some pop to his game. Um, if he's a, if he's a if he's a cheap fourth line option, that can help you on a, on PP two, then great. But yeah, as you mentioned, Scott, like he's not gonna his 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 presence on a on a tryout basis is not gonna you know prevent a a, a Merkulov or a Lysel or a you know Beecher or you know who Lauko, just whoever you feel like is could be vying for a full time position. Those guys still have those opportunities, so. And you uh, want to know what this is completely like? It's a, a complete side point. But did you see what the Bruins put up of Lysel back in in Sweden? I don't know if you saw any of the stuff on their social media. Um, and he was with Axelson, right? They were they were out um, doing a few little things in the community, and and Axelson was showing him around some of those stuff. And, and I believe it was Gutenberg, which is I think that's where Lysel's from. So. Um, yeah, they had him. They had they were featuring Lysel in some of their social media stuff this week. I think it was on the the Bear Tracks uh, stuff they do throughout the summer. But um, it was just kind of ni- nice to see this new Swedish kid coming up through the through the Bruins. And then he was talking to Axelson, who obviously is probably their most well known Swedish former Swedish player. Who, by the way, he's a scout, is he not? Yeah, he's there. He's the Bruins' lead European scout, so he's had a huge role in like all these Swedish draft picks they've made in recent years, um, including Lysel. Like he, you know, when when you remember at the time there was like that weird thing that I, I think it was Butcher Gross who hinted at it during the draft that there was like some sort of off ice issue or whatever, and um, Axelson knew as well as anyone like exactly what was going on with them because he was on the ground and actually like at a lot of those games in Sweden. So um, definitely like a a lot, there was a high level of comfort there for the Bruins because, because of Axelson, because, you know, he not only sees all those kids, but in many cases already knows them, like already has a relationship with them. And yeah, it was, it was cool to see, to watch that because it was like, it literally just seemed like Axelson was part of his family. Like, yeah. Like, Lysel's like, here's my mom, my dad, my sister, and here's PJ. And like, yeah. he's just hanging out. <laughs> it was cute, too. And it was like, was that, did the place that they were with all of the Bruins gear, was that owned by Axelson? Because they're at this like bar area that was, it was a full Bruins themed bar or whatever it was and it had all sort of um bruins paraphernalia mostly axles and stuff like swedish bruins was kind of the the theme in in all of the memorabilia they had in the background it's kind of cool i was like oh that's weird you walk in there it looks like something you walk into in boston not gutenberg sweden yeah i don't i don't think he owns it I, I mean, he might have something to do with it but yeah i'm, I'm assuming it's just because there was probably that because that was in his hometown. I'm assuming there's just a large 
you know, population there that became Bruins fans because, because of Axelson and because of how long he was with the Bruins. So yeah, that, that was kind of cool to see. Like you'll see those pop up kind of just different places because, you know, Boston sports fans are so crazy. And it's like anywhere that there's a little bit of a transplant community or, you know, um, or just like a group of Boston sports fans. uh, Yeah. Sometimes you'll see those, those Boston sports bars just pop up all over the world. So yeah, that was kind of cool because it wasn't even just Bruins. Like it had Patriots stuff, Red Sox, like it it had everything. And that's funny because that's actually where my family's from in Sweden too. So like, not my like parents, but my mom's uh, grandma, that's where she's from. So it's just kind of funny. Yeah. That, that, that post you were mentioning Bridget, I just checked it out. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it, the, the encouraging news is that he seems to be putting on some, um, some much needed muscle and, and size, which I think is imperative for him to, to get a sniff at the NHL level. And I think that, you know, that, that's obviously a point of emphasis for him and his development. Um, he has all the skill sets and then, you know, just getting more comfortable as a pro and then obviously gaining that size and strength is important for him. And also, you know, if I'm Lysel, not that he is privy to, you know, the the top 50 prospect list or whatever um, that Scott brought up a few months ago, but I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's probably gotten wind that, you know, in the hockey community, his stock might be down after last year. And if, and if I'm him, not only am I focused on trying to make the Bruins, but I'm trying to, you know, prove people wrong. And I think he should probably come into camp with a fire under his ass. And I think I'm looking forward to seeing if he can take advantage of an opportunity, opportunity this fall. Yeah, for sure. You're right. Like, I think there was another ranking that just came out recently that had him like 72nd, which isn't, isn't a bad place to be. Like if you're one of the hundred best prospects in hockey, I think that's pretty good, but it's not top 50. It's not top 30. So, um, yeah, you know, I think it, talking to him at uh, rookie camp, he certainly sounded like someone who was taking that approach of, you know, he knows last season, especially the second half, didn't go how he wanted and, you know, had like a plan of attack for how to how to get better and how to avoid having that happen again. So, yeah, now yeah. it's about putting that into action and, and getting strong as part of it. And you're right, there was, you know, during that video, like, Axelson says like looks like you've you've been lifting or bench pressing or whatever and like you know gives him like a little slap to the chest yeah well I once again will encourage anybody who hasn't listened to it to go back we had an episode that Scott was able to get an interview with Fabian Lysel earlier in the summer so if you didn't listen to it um that might give you some context to what we're what we're talking about when when he comes up in conversation but what he was mentioning like what was positive that I took away from what he was saying about his game plan for how he was going to try to not have what happened last year happen again this year was that he definitely was honest with his assessment of himself and how his season went and was able to pinpoint what needed to change and what needed to get better. And Brian, you mentioned the size, but the main thing that he brought up was uh, he got worn out and maybe that's more endurance training. Maybe that's, um, better conditioning to the point or, and also huge part would be recovery, learning how to properly recover after games, because he felt like by the time that world juniors came around, he was, he was not recovered. He was not a hundred percent. He had just got burnt out. So, um, now that he's 
in the Bruins organization and has had time this summer to talk to different trainers and whatnot. Like I'm sure they gave him ways to help himself recover um, as well as to try to put on that weight. But um, he, he, he did look a little bigger in those videos, which was um, I guess encouraging to see that he's heading on the right track. We mentioned that part of the summer, he wasn't able to do any contact um, training because, or skating because he has, was dealing with a concussion, but now he's past that and he can, you know, kind of get back on track to training like any other guy in the off season. Yeah. And, you know, if you remember back to David Pasternak's rookie year, he, uh, he wasn't the size he is now. So you can break into the league when you're not completely fully, you know, developed uh, strength, strength wise, but he, you got to be at a certain level. And I think that he seems to be at least at, at, at a level where he can break into the league for sure. Um, Scott, did you have any closing thoughts on Lysel? Did you want to move on to um, some of the other topics you wanted to get to? Uh, no, I think I'm, I'm good to move on. We can keep, keep things over in Europe uh, because David Krejci did an interview with an outlet back home in Czechia. Um, the interview is in Czech, so we have to rely on Google Translate. Um, I I did tell Bridget via text that I'm fluent in Czech now, but uh, yeah, that, that's, said, that's not when? actually true. Since when? No. <laughs> Last I spoke to um, you, I don't. I didn't think you could, but wow, that was quick. Yeah. So Krejci did an interview with the outlet is iSport.cz, um, where he talked about. All three of his, his NHL coaches, obviously, Claude Julian, Bruce Cassidy, Jim Montgomery, and talked quite a bit about Cassidy and had mostly really good things to say, which, you know, I think will be the part that gets ignored. But he did say that they had a great relationship, called him a really great guy off the ice who understands hockey very well, said he's definitely one of the best coaches in the NHL. But he also said he still has regrets over what happened in 2019 and specifically Cassidy's decision or handling of his right wing situation and who he got to play with. Um, and, you know, basically like Krejci openly wonders what would have happened if maybe they had changed things up, especially in the cup final. And, you know, if he got knock on his wing, um, the quote again, through Google translate. So this is, you know, was originally in Czech, gets translated. I think he could have thrown the three away, meaning Marshan, Berger, and Pasenak, really, I think that just means split them up, and given me a little help, that and the team. In 2019, we went to the finals. I had over 70 points in the season without starting for a long time with Pasta. If Cassie had seen it a little differently back then and kind of trails off, later on he says, I just think he could have been more accommodating. That time he put Carson Kuhlman on the wing for the seventh final, meaning game seven of the Stanley cup final, an excellent player and a guy, but I would expect him to put someone who has played in the NHL for a longer time on my line. Carson played on the farm most of the time in the minors. So um, it's not necessarily that, like, that this is new. We've kind of heard this that the first time he left the Bruins and went over to Czechia. We heard, you know, that he wishes he had been possible more, but this does kind of drive right at the specific situation, which is, the 2018-19 season and specifically that that cup run um you know i want to get you guys reactions to that obviously i would just note that you know even if cassidy puts pasta on his line there's still 
an opening next to Bergeron and Martian because that team was a top six right wing short, no matter how you slice it. So there's a hole somewhere, but there's certainly merit to the idea of trying to change something up because if you remember in that cup final, Krejci had a relatively quiet series. He only had two points and the Bergeron line was kind of, you know, most of the time losing its head to head matchups against Ryan O'Reilly. So, um, Second guessing always easy, but it, clearly something that Krejci still thinks about. Yeah, well, it's funny because obviously he's been reflecting on his career and Bergeron has, but even just the entire team after what transpired uh, losing in the first round of this season, um, even guys that aren't retiring seemed to reflect back on that 2019 game seven loss or just that series in general with St. Louis. And I feel like this, past season stirred up some of those thoughts again about missed opportunities. And this is what he's talking about. He's talking about adjustments that could have been made and should have been made that weren't at the time. And I mean, it's hard to argue that uh, he doesn't have a case with that. He and Pasternak have always worked well together and it might've spread the wealth, so to speak. Obviously you do have that hole in the first line then, but it's, were it was worth trying and um it certainly wasn't gonna hurt the production of Krejci's line it was gonna boost um his ability to to contribute and, and help out and uh I mean obviously when we talk about a, a team that loses in game seven there's so many things you can point to throughout a series but maybe that would have made the difference yeah it's a difficult situation I think um I mean, part of me wants to say that management, um, you know, failed that season not providing. I mean, well, you know, I say that, but they brought in Johansson and Coyle, and those guys at the deadline were excellent. So I don't want to say that Sweeney failed at that deadline because he he bolstered the team, and I think those two played a massive role in getting to the cup finals. Still, they, yeah, they were a top six winger short. Um, I think there's definitely merit to – Bergeron and Marchand can carry a line themselves, no matter who the third person is. Whereas, you know, Krejci could have benefited from Pasternak, but I, you know, I think at the time the Bergeron Krejci Pasternak uh, or uh, the Bergeron Marchand Pasternak combination at that time had been going strong for three years and was the biggest driver behind that team's offensive success. And, you know, I, in hindsight, you look back at a line with two thirds of a line being David Krejci and Jake DeBrusque, that seems good enough to me to drive a line. Um, so I look at Jake DeBrusque and I think he was quiet and Krejci was quiet. So the two of them being together, I think is, you know, uh, they should look at themselves for being quiet in that series. I mean, yeah, passion, that probably helps them. Sure. Of course. But, um, you know, I just have a tough time. I still think that Bruins team was more talented, uh, more talented up front than, than that that Blues team, not by much. I think that Blues team, as time goes on, I do think that they were better personnel-wise than, than I gave them credit for going into that series. I think their size in the back end was huge. Bennington oh, played Rask at times. But, um, look, it, it's it's a it's a fair thing for Krejci to wonder, but it, at the end of the day, it's like, if I, if there's a criticism for me with Cassidy in that, in that game seven, it would be going with Kuhlman over um, – 
and I've said this before, but like I I know David Backus wasn't a huge offensive player in Boston, but something something tells me that him being on the ice in a game seven situation against a team that he captained for a chance to win a Stanley Cup, something tells me he would have been pretty goddamn motivated. And maybe a puck was off his skate and the Bruins get a lead in that game. I don't know. So I understand Krejci's criticism regarding putting Kuhlman on his line, a guy who played probably 15 games for them in the regular season and like a couple of games in the playoffs. I get that for sure. Um, but I don't know. The, the Bruins just over the years, like to, to look back at that one game, it's bullshit because at the same time, they got outplayed in game two. They got outplayed in game five, both on home ice. You lost three of the last four games on home ice in that series. You lost three straight games on home ice in that series. So, Which was their demise this year, too. They played some of the worst hockey. I've, the the yeah. worst hockey I'd seen them play all year was those home games in the playoffs. The war, Easily the worst hockey I'd seen them play the whole year. I mean, if you're if you're David Krejci and and in twenty by the time twenty nineteen rolls around, you have you're a player who is so accomplished in the National Hockey League that you're you're a Stanley Cup champion. You were a former first line center on a Stanley Cup championship team. You twice led the postseason in scoring in twenty eleven and twenty thirteen. You should be able to drive a line on your own in, in that situation, and I think that's what the Bruins trusted that he could do. So I understand that not having one of the best goal scorers in the world on your line isn't optimal, right? Um, but David Krejci was established enough at that point in his career um, to, 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 to be better in that series with or without Pasternak. And Jake DeBrus didn't show up either. So, look, as a player, I understand he's going to feel that way. He has the right to. Um, but, but everybody has to wear an egg on their face uh, from that, from that series. And I, I and, think they do. Like they genuinely do. Like, um, yeah. and that's, and, but Bridget, like and that's, that's why also Bridget, I felt like this past year going into the postseason, they wouldn't have let what happened happen because they weren't just a great regular season team that like got surprised or, or, or overwhelmed by the expectations. Like that Bruins team last year, they had a ton of leadership. They had a ton of experience, skill and grit. And they have learned those hard lessons before, which is why I was so confident that they weren't going to let, you know, a half-ass, no disrespect to the Panthers, but, like, I just – that that roster was top-heavy, and I'll, I'll stand by that until I'm blue in the face, that Panthers team. Um, yeah. To let that happen to them this past year was unacceptable. But as far as the 2019 thing, Scott, Krejci, has, he has a gripe for sure, but if I'm Cassidy, I'm also talking to my players being like, you know, be better. Yeah, and I mean the the one necessary rebuttal that I always make and will make on you know Kuhlman versus Backus is Backus had other chances to play in that series and did not play well, and Kuhlman had just scored a big goal and a really nice goal in Game Six. So I also get why it would be hard to take him out after scoring that goal. Um, you know, really, th- like there's so much you can second guess and wonder about like i i always wonder you know if what if he had tried marcus johansson at second line right wing for a more extended stretch at some point not that i think that would have been ideal not that that's really the best spot for marcus johansson but would he have been a better fit there than you know everyone else they tried would have what is kind of like that just the way you play like that go-go style would that have maybe brought something, a spark to that line that other guys couldn't. Um, but they liked his chemistry with Coyle so much that 
you kind of kept together that strong third line and just hoped something would click on, on the second line. And it really never did. I mean, really, like if you're looking at that trade deadline, you're, you're right that Sweeney did make, you know, two significant additions, but probably it's easy to say in retrospect, but probably, you know, the second deal after coil probably had to be someone who was a little bit more of an impact player than, than Johansson, something closer to a surefire second line winger. But, um, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's, it's in the past now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it also worth noting, like Krejci was actually a, a plus player in that series. So even though he wasn't putting up points, like that line also wasn't getting abused. Like they weren't getting scored on left and right. The, the first line, the Bergeron line was on the ice for way more goals against, like they were the ones who had minus fives and minus sixes next yeah. to their names for that series. So, um, you know, you, you need someone else to step up. If that, if that line's not scoring a ton or breaking even someone else has to be the offense and, and come out, you know, even more on the plus side. Um, and that's where obviously that second line and really every other line came up short was, yeah. you know, sure. They could go out there and play hard and break even, but no one could really score consistently at five on five. Yeah, but if that if that top line's being adequately defended, then splitting Pasnak away from that line makes sense even more. So, I mean, obviously we're going back, and, and it's funny because thinking back on the way that Cassidy coached through that entire playoffs and the difference with Montgomery, uh, this playoffs kind of overdoing it and making too, too many moves and moving too many pieces and kind of creating um, – uh, panic uh, a little bit and like okay well why why are we making so many adjustments are we nervous are we like overthinking things and they're just two different ways that it went wrong in game sevens that have been painful for people and crazy in particular has spoken to both of those things and really has been thinking about both of those things and reflecting on his career can i guys correct me if i'm wrong but uh if i'm not mistaken the last two NHL postseasons that David Krejci has been a part of with the Bruins, they gave him David Pasternak on his wing. Am, 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 I, mis- am I mistaken about that? The Islanders series was 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 Pasta not with Krejci in that series, and that they, they they had to give him back to Bergeron and Martian because they were kind of like in trouble. Um, I don't think so. maybe for like a shift here and there, but Krejci was more with Taylor Hall and Craig Smith okay. that that run. But there might have been like a little juggling here and there. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess my point is ultimately they've had they've had opportunities with 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 Pasternak and and certainly this past year. And I know Krejci was down for a couple of games in the in the, in the playoffs, but you know, Game Seven against Florida, like you had you had the dream scenario if you're Krejci. So um, I, I think it's more than a Krejci conversation. Like I understand, I'm not going to criticize his opinion. Like he's lived it for 16 years in Boston. He's been through it all. He's won a championship with Boston. Um, he has the the right to feel however he wants to feel about something that he lived through, and we just spectated. Um, but what I will say is, like, you know, unfortunately, this is, you know, when we talk about it, you, you, Scott, you mentioned, like, in that series against St. Louis, yeah, it was more it was more uh, Bergeron and, and Marshan kind of getting out and, and passionate, getting outplayed by St. Louis's top line. And, and it's so it's more of a it's more of a crazy thing in here. It's more of a it's it illustrates how 
outside of 2011, this this Bruins team just found ways to to not 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 come through when it mattered most, and and it's part of you know their Hall of Fame, you know, hockey Hall of Fame players, not necessarily Krejci, but Bergeron is Pashnak. If he goes keeps going at this pace, will be a hockey Hall of Famer. Uh, Brad Martian is a case to be made for him. Tuga Rask, um, Zdeno Chara, obviously, um, and they're all Bruins Hall of Famers. But with 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 those expectations, you know, you you expect more, right? And uh, it sucks just, to they, boil yeah. it down to that though, because like that was one of the most entertaining playoff runs. Like that was some of the most entertaining hockey I witnessed. Like there were some really uh, fun games and moments, and. Uh, Definitely a lot of belief throughout that playoff series. The Bruins were going to find a way to win the Stanley Cup. So um, I just remember thinking about that run as a whole in 2019. Oh, yeah. Thinking that they had put together a roster that's good enough to win it, that what they had been doing was enough to – and then you you get it on home ice. You're like, well, it's home ice. But then, uh, yeah – no, obviously did not play out that way. A lot of people in Boston say, stop talking about game seven. We forgot about that. And we threw it out of our memory and it never happened. And I don't even know what you're talking about. 2019, we were we were away that year. I don't know. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, that was one of the most fun times I've had watching hockey. So it, was, it sucks that it turned out that way. But like on the it was ride, great. it was fun. You know what though? That, you know, that's they had, it was amazing. But they also had the former uh, defending Stanley Cup champions eliminated in Washington, and mm-hmm. you had and you had Tampa Bay, who at the time set the 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 wins record, bounced in the first round to Columbus. So you know the path was was there from them from the jump after the first round, and but ultimately whatever. It's <laughs> great great era of Bruins hockey. They brought a cup back, great players, all the, all these things. But it's always something for the most part. And you know this this situation we're talking about Game Seven, St. Louis could pass not get done with Krejci, maybe. But you know what? <laughs> time and time again, there was there was always something that this team just found a reason to lose. So, um, you know. But anyway, <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, Brian. Well, I'm sorry, but it's it, look, I don't I don't I don't go into these conversations expecting to bring this up. But you know, it's I hear Krejci pretty much more or less like throw Bruce Cassidy under the bus for them not winning the Stanley Cup in twenty in twenty nineteen because of a one game decision or, or or. But it's like, how many opportunities have you guys had? To, to, to where, you, where the team was good enough to win a cup and, and, and you know, whatever. So I just don't like Cassidy being blamed for that. It's just it, the players, the players should have performed better in that series. Bottom line, especially in Boston. Yeah. I mean, right. Like it, it's not Cassidy's fault that Martian changed off, you know, with whatever five seconds left in the period. Um, yeah. You, you're right. Ultimately, of course it's on the players and, you know, you so much, so much, so many things to like second guess and just wonder what if in that series, you know, like what if Grizzly doesn't miss time? You forget that he was playing really good hockey before, you know, a pretty dirty hit. Um, I think that was Sunquist, right? Oscar Sunquist um, misses three or four games in the final. Zidane Chow with the broken jaw, which, you know, creates one of the most inspirational moments in just about as loud as I've ever heard the garden when he gets introduced. Um, but he also wasn't able to really be his usual dominant self after that. His, his minutes were a little bit limited and you could tell when he was on the ice that understandably there was an effort to, you know, avoid some contact. And 
I don't think he got exposed or anything, but like he wasn't usual Zdeno Chara. So yeah, you, you wonder about all of it. And unfortunately, like you, you saw the absolute best hockey Jordan Bennington is ever going to play. He has not been an elite goalie since then, even though he's getting paid like one. Um, but that happens. Goalies, goalies get hot. We just saw it with Vegas and Aiden Hill, who's not an elite goalie either, but just got hot at the right time. I mean, I'll I'll give you game seven for a little bit there, Scott. But like that game you just mentioned, the 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 Chara broken jaw standing ovation. How do you go out there and you're losing two nothing with like eight minutes left in the game and you score on a fluky Jake DeBrusque like slap shot, which he's never even taken in his NHL career besides that one time, and it squeaks through Bennington. It's like that's kind of what I'm driving at. Like, how do you have the garden? ovation like that and there's chills up and down your spine and you're watching your leader play a game where he shouldn't be even on the ice and 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 you know people talk about the noel achari you know non-trip call and that leads to a goal but it's like that was with like you know 12 minutes left in the game and the bruins hadn't scored a goal yet it's like how does that how does that happen how do you not be better in that situation like how do you not score because i don't remember st louis being like you know that that dominant in that game or Jordan Bennington for that matter. So whatever, just missed opportunities. But, um, but yeah, let's, let's go back to, to check where, uh, where nobody's like, you know, paying attention much and we'll just throw Cassie into the bus again, but it's all good. I'm paying attention. They, were, yeah, paying they, were, attention. they forgot that Scott can speak Czech. They yeah. forgot that he can read and, and he's right on top of it there. By the way, though, there are Czech reporters that cover the team throughout the year that I like, they will be at games and all of a sudden like last question goes to this Czech speaking person. Then we're like, Oh, okay. I guess we got, we, we've had uh Czech reporters follow the team 